Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Jack Hoffman. For nearly 31 years, Tico Steakhouse has been a staple for fine dining in Jackson, Mississippi. I would like to invite you to come experience our family tradition of our hospitality, sizzling steaks, and healthy port beverages. East County Lime Road in Ridgeland, 601-956-1030. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Wednesday, August 28th. I had the phone pulled up and everything right in front of me. Didn't even have to guess. Edition of the Rebel Report podcast. Uh, we're inching closer to game week. Um, loaded show today. Another long show. Hopefully, I know we went uh, quite a while on Monday. Uh, probably the case again because I brought on an old friend, um, Andrew Stevens, who runs a website called, formerly known as the Armchair All-Americans, but now is known as the Armchair Media Network. It basically started as a... Uh, a sports blog um, that I kind of helped him kind of get off the ground. I say I. There was like 20 of us. I, I am no special, more special than the other 25 people that kind of started doing it. When I was about a sophomore in college, this uh, six six goofy dude gave me a call from uh, Athens, Georgia. It was like, hey, you want to start writing here? Of course, I was like a young kid looking for you know pretty much anything I could do to get my name out there. And I was like, absolutely. Um of course, kind of. I did went a different way since, but like Andrew's the father of armchair, so like he, uh, unless he wants to send alimony checks, he has to, uh, you know, that's his child. Um, and so he's kind of. I asked him, I think, at the beginning of the podcast, if he celebrated Father's Day. Um, but you know, he's kind of made it into what it is. They just inked a deal. You'll hear him say it on. I'm pretty sure on the interview with a. Uh, some kind of media company out of New York to where they basically go on all audio. There's a lot of podcasts. You can find it at armchairmedianetwork.com. They have some good stuff. They're fairly irreverent, um, but they have a good time. They uh, produce you know unique content, which in this day and age is, I think, probably the key to kind of you know differentiating yourself from you know the droves of other stuff you have to sift through to find stuff you like. Um, anyway, Andrew's a good dude. We've been friends for a while. I Basically, my idea with that is he's knowledgeable about college football. He likes the same kind of stuff we all do. I was basically taking the 2 a.m. talks that we have after a night out and basically putting it in a more tame medium on the record is basically what that was. <laughs> that seems scary all in one. Um, it was. When we got five minutes into the show and we started telling a story about how I had to use his computer last time I went to this past year when I went to Alex Box for the Ole Miss baseball series down at LSU because he lives in Baton Rouge and figured out that the computer I brought was fried. Um, I grabbed the wrong one off my desk and had to use, about having two computers. Yeah, I had to use his computer uh, the entire weekend as if it was like 2004. And then we got into another story that you'll hear in a second that basically, so he was covering Georgia his senior year of college for the Scout Network there, I think. It may have been 247. I don't remember. Or, uh, I, I, hell, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, and we were on, that was when Ole Miss played him in 16, and so he came and stayed with me. And we were going to the stadium together, and we realized coming off the ramp off six under the Chucky Mullins exit that the bundle of, like, the, the Georgia game bundle that had the credentials and all that had no parking pass in it. Like, I had a parking pass to all other six home games, but not this one. So I got off on the side of six, ran up the ramp, saw some guy selling tickets, and I heard him say parking pass. Basically, he was like, 30 bucks. I was like, here's 50, and basically got it and ran back in the car. <laughs> and while the car was moving, and ran back and got in, and we got on campus. That seems like a well-spent 50 bucks. 
It was. We were we were one hundred percent we were we were in trouble. Anyway, he's a good dude. We had a lot of fun. It was an interesting chat. I told him we would go about fifteen to twenty minutes, and of course probably as soon as the mic was turned on, there was zero chance of that happening. So you've got forty five minutes of Andrew Stevens. I am sure he will be back on this show very soon. Um I think you'll enjoy it. It was fun. What's up, man? Not much, not much. We uh we have actual football again tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be nice. So just it's that time of year, man. Yeah, and this is the real start of college football season. I'm not discounting Week Zero as we rehashed a ton on Monday. I enjoyed it, but like when you get five, six games on a Thursday night, they put some more on Friday, full slate Saturday, primetime Sunday, Monday. This is the actual start. Yep, yep. I'm uh, I'm excited. Uh, Thursday's week, slate's kind of weak, but you know, is what it is. Yeah, it is. But no, honestly, there, there's some things I'm interested in. I don't necessarily think. Georgia Tech is going to hold a candle to Clemson, but you never know, man. Like, first game, they could kind of make that interesting for a half or so. Like, I'm not saying, I don't think they're going to win the game, but dude, first week, always weird stuff tends to happen. At least that's two, that's a conference ACC game, is basically, it, I guess, what is, I'm getting but at. But I'm going to disagree completely with you, it, it being close, because Georgia Tech's transitioning from the option to the spread, and they're, getting, they're having like 270 pound tackles out there against Clemson. I think that's going to be a massacre. I think it'll probably end up being two. I'm just saying, there's at least you can hope. I mean, if it was if it was Clemson, Western Carolina, you're probably not even turning on the television. No, you're, you're not watching it. That's fair. That's fair. Cincinnati, UCLA can be fun, I guess. No, I'm actually really interested in that because it's Chip Kelly year two. I mean, people for like it almost seems like Chip Kelly's not forgotten, but people seem to forget how great of a college coach he was. Maybe because it didn't necessarily work out in the NFL. You know, Los Angeles storied program. Like, what does that look like in year two? Because they were really bad in year one. Yeah, yeah. And then Utah goes to BYU. Utah's like a dark horse for the playoff, and they're opening on the road against the rivals. So that'll be fun. Yeah, I really enjoy uh, the Holy War being week one. I think throwing a rivalry game week one is a bold move, and I'm all for it. <laughs> well, especially on a Thursday night when, like, everybody and their mom's going to watch it. Yeah, exactly. Other than that, that's about all you're probably going to want to view on Thursday night, unless I'm missing one. Uh, FIU Tulane is on if you want to see that. Okay, uh, that'll at least be competitive. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, really nothing else on Thursday. Friday, you get Wisconsin at USF. That could be interesting. It could be. USF's a little down, but uh, going on the road, I mean, Wisconsin could get beat for sure. Colorado, Colorado State, another kind of robbery game at the top, and then Oregon State gets Oklahoma State at home. I mean, if you're looking for a game at 9.30 at night that maybe could get weird, like, I don't yeah. think Oregon State's any good, but, like, I don't know. I mean, it's 9.30, they're, you know, Oklahoma State's on the Pacific Northwest. Like That feels like the game that uh, it's like a three-point game at halftime, and then at the end of the game, Oklahoma State won by 25. Right, and then, of course, you get to the full slate Saturday that we'll kind of get into in a second. First and foremost, you've got Ole Miss stuff to take care of. Um, Alex Givens practiced yesterday. He was a limited participant. Yeah, he part- play, right? He, like, I, maybe. I, yeah, I think. I mean, he was a limited participant. Jack Bicknell Jr., who we talked to after practice, estimated that Givens took probably roughly half of the available reps, I think. Um, you know, and that's be- that's more than he's been doing. I mean, that was the first time. Now, obviously, we don't see practice every day. But based on the Monday, Wednesday, Friday we've seen, and last Friday being the last practice we've been at, the last one of fall camp, that's the first time he's been in pads and doing stuff in pads that we've seen. Um, yeah. So that's obviously, if you're an Ole Miss fan, that's a good sign. 
kind of like you mentioned a second ago, look, getting more than 15 to 20 snaps out of him does not seem realistic, but that's 15 to 20 more than they would have if he was not on the field right now practicing. So some is better than a little, I guess. Yeah, and, and it was weird to me. They, they talked about how his biggest hindrance was conditioning, and I understand, look, you've got to be in phenomenal shape to play this game. I didn't understand how, like, if he wasn't going, I didn't understand how he wouldn't be able to play 15 to 20 snaps, even being out of shape because of the back injury. Like, that never made sense to me how he couldn't get on the field at all if that was the hindrance. Um, yeah, I mean, but I mean, even, man, you go fast in Rich Rod's offense, you play six, seven plays in a row and you haven't been doing a lot, you could still get gassed in the short term. That's not to oh, say, sure. like, he would be worthless for the rest of the game, but I think it's more so a continuity thing to where they don't need him to get winded after four plays. It's probably what the along the lines are there. I'm just kind of guessing. I guess so. I just, I mean, if you had to sub him out after five plays, is that the worst thing in the world? I mean, no, but like that's probably what their holdup is. I don't know, and they also have to think big picture as far as his health, not just conditioning. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like you know, you know, well, you're going to need him week two, three, four, five, six, and so on too, yeah, as well. So you don't need him tweaking something. Right. If it's related to his health at all, I completely get it. I just never understood the conditioning angle from the perspective of uh, he can't play the whole game. That never really made sense to me. Right. Um. And so. I'm trying to think what. Oh, so the, since the last time we've had a podcast, I went. Obviously, we went to uh, the Monday press conference. Not a ton you got out of that, but Ole Miss did release its game week depth chart. Um, depth not a, chart season. Yeah, not a ton of surprises there. I'll go the three that really kind of stuck out to me. Um, one, they have Bryce Matthews instead of at left tackle. They have him listed as Alex Givens' backup at right tackle. That tells me they don't think Alex Givens. Is, that tells me two things. One, they don't think Alex Givens is going to contribute in a. Uh, in a full capacity. Um, and two, they're trying to... So this team, as we've discussed, and I'll have a story on this, either today or Thursday, I'm not exactly sure um, what exactly is going... Like, what exactly... Uh, I don't know what I'm saying. Basically, we've talked about in this podcast before, they're missing the, the, the Sean Rawlings, the Jordan Sims... Um, you know, Swiss Army Knife guy that you can play in a lot of different positions, and they're trying to make Bryce Matthews into that. He can play tackle, he can play guard. Um, like, they're trying to make him into that. And so, it's twofold. It's one, that probably tells you they don't think they're going to have Givens in a full capacity. And two, if the Michael Howard thing works, they're probably a better football team because of it, because they can use Bryce Matthews in the Jordan Sims, Sean Rawlings role. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like like you said, you need that Swiss Army knife guy that can go play th- two positions and, and trans- translate in and out seamlessly. Um, yeah, look, Michael Howard's going to be one of the more interesting things our uh, players this season, just to see if he can hold up for an SEC season. I know he's put on weight, so I, I, that's one of the things I'm fascinated to watch on on Saturday is how he plays. Yeah, I do. So he's a guy uh, that has. Struggled to keep on weight, as if we've well documented. And uh, Jack Bicknell t- uh, touched on that a little bit yesterday. Um, he's a guy that's kind of fluctuated from tight end to special teams guy to lineman. Has not been able to. Uh, has not really been able to to contribute consistently because of weight issues, and he's gone down from sometimes 250 to 260 or whatever, but Jack Bicknell Jr. would happy to report yesterday that Howard has stayed at 280 throughout all fall camp, which is a good news uh, for Ole Miss fans. How that 
sticks when he's in the in and out grind of a season and you know playing a game every seven day and then going to practice all that is a different thing but they need him to be good um because that's you know another piece you can add as far as depth with the Matthews thing and everything else and just because his backup's a true freshman Nick Broker who ends up probably being a three-year starter uh but again there's just a level of physicality and 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 readiness that you don't have as a true freshman. So they need him to be good, and that's going to be an interesting experiment to watch. Yeah, I'm, the, the whole offensive line is going to be an experiment, but you're right. I, I'm just fascinated to see how he holds up, and it's not just the Memphis game. It's, it's how does he respond to the Arkansas game and that type of thing because he's going to get beat up at that position playing consistently in the SEC, uh, especially when he's not as big as the other guys. So how he holds up against you know four rushes and that type of thing to me is going to be one of the more interesting storylines for this season um there's or at the backup quarterback job we've really kind of discussed that that's not necessarily a surprise to me i think if if corral tweaks an ankle tomorrow um or not tomorrow uh in, in saturday that's what i mean in the game um it's grant tisdale like if matt cross to come in the game it's probably tisdale that could change you know a month down the road something like that um I'm interested in this, all right? It, it, this is completely hypothetical and speculative, and it doesn't really matter. You know, if, you, if your helmet comes off a of play, like you have to come out, I'm interested to see if, like, there's a package for John Rice Plumley for that scenario, but if he had to miss, like, extended time, I think it would be Tisdale. Like, I think there's a scenario where Corral has to miss, like, a play or two, and they put Plumley in the game. Um. Yeah, that's certainly fair. It's certainly possible, but or they could, you know, stick um... – I mean, or they stick Tisdale in there for a play, run a normal play, and then he's back in. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I just I think if it's an extended period of time, Tisdale's going to be the quarterback at least for I don't know three or four weeks. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll have to see on that. And then, um, really, the only other ones that Keedron Smith drew the starting nod over Jalen Jones at corner. I don't read a whole lot into that. They have three guys that they feel pretty good about there, in Jalen Jones, Keedron Smith. <laughs> In Miles Hartsfield, one of them technically had to be listed as a reserve. While the other two started, I don't read a ton into that. Um, it's what? not an injury thing. Jaywin Jones has been fully recovered for a while; hasn't had any limitations in fall camp. Never put on a green jersey. I think he's fine. I, I don't read a ton into that at all. Is there a? Are you looking at a depth chart currently? Um, I mean, no. I can have one pulled up pretty quick, though. I thought I read that there was an four behind Muhammad Sanogo. There was. It's Dante Evans. Um, again, that's another one that I was going to bring up next. I don't really buy stock into that either. Mohamed Sanogo okay. was by far and away the best linebacker on a really, really bad defense a year ago. Um, you know, led the team in tackles by 38 tackles or something ridiculous. Look, I think that's just a, a nod to Dante Evans, who's an older upperclassman guy. That you know, he's a junior, been in the program two years. I think they're just giving him a nod that hey, you had a good camp. You're probably going to play some, you know, we're trying to keep your interested and keep your spirits up. I think there's a 0% chance that Mohamed Sinogo is not out there on the first play. Yeah, I think that's certainly fair. Um, I don't know. It, it, depth charts are stupid, right? Like, yeah, it just feels like depth charts are extremely futile. And it, it feels like, I don't know if they're rushed to put together, uh, but it just kind of feels like a thing where they – they're kind of mandated, so they put them out, and they don't actually follow them during the game. But I'm not blaming them for that. It just kind of seems like a futile process. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's just something they need. They, I think that. I mean, it's just something. It's just a formality more so than anything. I don't read a ton into it. There weren't any really other surprises on Ole Miss depth chart, um, from my perspective. 
Uh, I'm just kind of running through it one more time. No, I mean, at receiver, people kind of made a big deal of it being Drummond or Mingo um, with Battle listed behind them. I think there's three oars there. I don't really know how that works. Uh, you're going to see all of those guys. I don't think it necessarily matters. Obviously, Braylon Sanders is on the other side with Gregory behind him. Uh, you're going to see all of those dudes play in some capacity. Drummond and Mingo are for sure going to play on Saturday. That's not really in a question. Same thing with Ely. Oh, people were like, I, I, someone was like, well, why is Stoop Connor four string? I was like, he's not. Anything after Scotty Phillips hasn't been decided. Um, so I wouldn't buy any stock into the order that Jerry on Ely, Isaiah Ward, and Stoop Connor's names were put on the thing. Um, so I, I don't really, yeah, th- most of this is just dumb. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, that's about it from a depth chart perspective. Um, as far as practice notes yesterday, there wasn't a ton to get into. We talked to uh, we talked to Tyrone Nix um, about his favorite moments of the Houston Nut tenure. Not really. Uh, we talked oh, to him God. about uh, we talk, <laughs> we talked to him about the outside linebacker edge spot. Um, he said it was interesting to me. He said he thinks he's going to play five or six guys or five or six guys, and he said every person that he brings like on the trip at that position is going to get in the game in some way, whether it's special teams, whether it is, uh, you know, playing at the edge spot, whatever it is. I thought I found that to be interesting. Um, I don't think he's blowing smoke there. I think Kadir Shepard and Chuck Wiley will play. I think um, Sam Williams and Brendan Williams will play, and I think you may see another one. Maybe true freshman Brandon Mack, another Montgomery kid who's like from the same place as Williams. Um, I think you really will see five or six guys there because it's going to be hotter than the surface of the sun. Uh, what do you know? The weathermen lied to us. I don't know if we brought this up on Monday's show, <laughs> but we got that whole, oh, cooler temperatures coming in as the you know the long shot two-week-out forecast. You nope, know, it's hotter now. 88 to 66 or whatever it was. And guess what? It's already 91 and rising. So, you know, thanks for nothing. Um Fix the weather. Yeah, so it's going to be hot. You know, that stadium is either extremely hot or extremely cold, as you heard Jonah Jordan tell you on Monday, which is 100% backed up by science. Um, so you're going to need some depth there. Um, they're really fine everywhere else on the injury front. I don't really know how else to break this game down. We did it on Monday. We did it, you know, a little bit today. I think everything that's uh, set that needs to be said has been said. I will say. Memphis has two guys out, um, and you heard Jonah Jordan talk about it on Monday when he was talking about the uh, Memphis defensive line. Oh, excuse me. Memphis defensive line, and they are missing the Cunningham kid, and there's one more. I'm trying to pull it up to make sure I don't have it wrong uh, just to be safe, but there's some injury news on that front. Um, Hold on one second. Uh, oh, Jonah Jordan also reporting there are seats left in this game. That's not exactly surprising. Chris Claybooks and Everett Cunningham. I wanted to make sure I have that right. Are oh, out for injuries this week. Uh, Cunningham, I believe, is a Juco kid that came over that I'm pretty sure – I'll have to go back and listen to the interview. I'm pretty sure when I asked Jonah who's a guy that's not on outside of Memphis people's radar right now that might be, I'm pretty sure he listed Cunningham. So that's a pretty I big covered, uh, decision. Uh, when, I, when I was at West Point, I covered Cunningham. He's an extremely good dude. He's a hell of a football player. Yeah, he's from West Point. Um, he's, he's a really good football player, but at East. Yeah, so he is a JUCO kid, right? Yeah, yeah. He went to – he left West Point. Last, his last season at West Point was 16, and then he went to East for 17 and 18, and now he's at Memphis, yeah. 
Okay, and then Clay Brooks is a sophomore defensive back who is thought to contribute. So that's a pretty big deal for uh, Memphis defense. It was a little shaky in the secondary last year in hopes to have an improved defensive line that you heard Jonas say the other day was quote-unquote nasty. Um, that's definitely a big blow to that. Um, that's about all I've got as far as this perspective. We'll get into some things we think and know on Friday. Um, anything else going on in the sports world, Big? Uh, no, everybody's got their Andrew Luck take. Uh, it's uh, it's just waiting for football season. I feel like once Thursday hits, once tomorrow night hits, it's just going to be like a roller coaster. Yep, so let's get to this interview with Andrew Stevens, and then we'll come back and wrap it up and hit the high points of the many dumb things we talked about. Um, so without further ado, here is Andrew Stevens of the Armchair All-Americans. I think you'll enjoy this one. And we now welcome on a very special guest. He is the father of a website. Do you celebrate Father's Day? Is, oh, uh, I, try, I try not to celebrate Father's Day. <laughs> it is uh, Andrew Stevens. He is the father, as you just heard, of the Armchair All-Americans, which is started off as a sports blog of sorts, but has kind of evolved and had it taken on a number of different phases. And now he has the latest venture. Why don't you tell them what exactly is going on with Armchair right now? Yeah, so um, we are a, I guess it started when we were in college. I'm a University of Georgia grad, originally from Baton Rouge, and we kind of just wanted somewhere to talk a little bit about uh, college football. So we started the longest domain name that we could possibly think of, armchairallamericans.com. It went well for a little while and uh, started to get a little bit of traction. And from there, kind of developed into a little bit of a sports podcasting uh, website. So right now we have about 35 local sports podcasts. We just went live, cut the All-Americans from it, so we're armchair media right now. Um, but things are going really well. We actually, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to plug another Ole Miss podcast on here. <laughs> you go um, have at it, dude. There are no rules on this show. <laughs> but uh, Land Sharks After Dark is actually our Ole Miss show. Justin Sanders is the host of that one, and they do a really good job there. Kind of a uh, kind of low key. I'm sure. I'm, I, Rippy, I'm not sure if you've been on that show before, but uh, I know they've reached out. Um, if they have, they're reaching out to the wrong Brian Scott Rippy. I would be happy to go on there, <laughs> but uh, I haven't. I don't think I've heard from him. Um, well, uh, you know what probably happened? They probably text me, asked me to get you set up. I said I would do it, and then never did so. So that know, one, uh, the, the miscommunication is likely on my end. Yeah, I, I about do the same thing. I'm not the greatest at, at, at doing that type of stuff. So. Andrew, as you as you mentioned, Andrew reached out to me when I was, I guess, like a sophomore in college, somewhere around there when, when Armchair was being birthed, and uh, basically asked me to be in the labor room. And so we uh, we, <laughs> we kind of built it up for a while. Andrew, of course, has been there from day one and built it up what it is, what it is today. Um, and we've been friends ever since, and then really just uh, kind of randomly bullshit about sports and stuff which is why i had you on today just to basically take the 3 a.m chats after the bar and put them in a medium on the record yeah i'm glad okay i'm glad that uh, now, now that bullshit is out of here i'm <laughs> glad i know i can what i can say and damn yeah, <laughs> it, it was uh, you were actually one of the few people that i've actually met in person from all of our armchair ventures there's a lot of Slack messages, a lot of video conference calls, but yeah, we were uh, able to work a horrific 11 a.m. game back in Oxford, I think, in 2016. Um, you just came in for the LSU Ole Miss baseball series. I'm in Baton Rouge right now, so yeah, 
you are actually one of the few people through Armchair I'm convinced is a real-life human being and not some internet troll out there uh, <laughs> that's destined to waste hours and hours upon my days. Um, yeah, that uh, that Georgia game was not the uh, not the most ideal scenario. I, I guess for somewhat full disclosure, we were both seniors in college, and it was an 11 a.m. game after you had gotten into town, and we went out in Oxford. So just kind of make of that what you will that morning. Um, yeah, that was a rough one. And then I tell with that. I don't think I've told this story at all, much less on this podcast. When I went down for the LSU series last year. Um, I showed up to Alex Box Stadium with no computer, and uh, I was staying with Andrew, so I had to borrow Andrew's computer the entire weekend, because basically what happened is I had a, like a normal computer I used, and I had an old one, and I was moving some stuff around from like, I was in between houses at the time, like moving from one place to another, and so I had all this just crap on my desk, and I got to the, uh, I got down to the stadium, and I'd, I'd packed up in a hurry, and I got straight to Alex Box. And I was checking my backpack and all that. I was like, oh, I packed my old computer. That's kind of weird. Whatever. That'll work. Until I quickly remembered that that computer was fried. Um, so in a mad panic, I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. I think I'm about to show up to this game with no computer. Like, do I write it on piece notes and paper and have someone type it for me? I don't know what the hell is going on. Um, Andrew luckily saved the day. I used his computer all weekend. That reminded me of the days where, like, you go over to someone's house to use, like, their AOL internet, the, you know the one that screws up your landline. You know the early days of the internet. You, you, you can't be on. You can't be on the phone at the same time. Yeah, like it was. Your computer was like coveted technology that weekend. Like I, it was, you actually reminded me of that because when uh, it, it just, I, I thought you were actually going to tell the story of when we were trying to go and find a parking pass <laughs> for the. 11 a.m. football game, and we woke up, uh, as aforementioned, a little late after going to the bars um, and had to make it over to Bought Hemingway by, I don't know, 8.30 in the morning or whatever it was. Um, and, yeah, sprint, Rippy, uh, we, we peel off. I, don't, I have no idea what interstate exit it was. In we're on, we're we on Highway 6. Exit. We are about 45 cars back up on the, the <laughs> off-ramp, and Rippy gets out of the passenger side sprints up the off-ramp, goes and scouts the parking pass, and we get off the media and scoot over to the stadium. It was highly, highly illegal. I was driving a, a four-wheel drive car back then. I don't think my little uh, sedan would handle it now. Yes, yeah, so- so for those of you listening to this podcast around Oxford, I'll kind of set the set the color in some some lines here. So we're we're going from my house to the Chucky Mullins exit on six because you can go that back way into Tad Smith, which is where the media parking lot is. And there's really bad traffic. We're already running a little late because to be honest, we were just dragging ass. And we get there. It's like nine o'clock. I think Andrew has to be there by like nine fifteen. We're in like. Not completely standstill traffic getting off that exit, but we were we're basically idling every every few feet. And I like start checking my backpack and I was like, Oh, they didn't give me a parking pass for this game. I had a parking pass for literally every other home game, but for whatever reason the packet, like the rubber band packet that had Georgia, there was no parking pass in it. Like, you can't get on campus. Like there we were we were screwed. I don't I honestly don't know what we would have done. Maybe parked at some random house. Or like in the grass and just dared someone to tow us. So I just got out and there's this guy scalping tickets on the side of the road. And I heard it be all parking pass. And I literally just got out, ran up the side of the ramp, like the exit ramp. It was like, hey buddy, how much you sell that for? And I think he was like 30 bucks. And I was like, here's 50. And just basically took it and ran back in the car. <laughs> There was, 
there's simply no time to deal with change. No, there's nothing. Like, he had the golden ticket, and we were not getting on campus, and we were not getting to that game. I would have paid anything for it, honestly. I'd have probably given him my whole wallet. Like, don't run up that card too much. There's not a lot on it anyway. Um, in, re- in retrospect, uh, I could have just uh, – sitting in traffic as a Georgia fan would have been better than watching that damn game. Oh, that's, that was, that's I, right. Kelly could have hung – I think it was 45 nothing at one point. Ole Miss could have hung 70 if they wanted that game. That was, so that was such a weird game because that was the year Ole Miss started – with FSU and then Wofford in Alabama and then Georgia mm-hmm. in the month of September, which was like murderer's row. And they got up 28-6 on FSU down in Orlando in that opener, and you're like, holy holy shit, this team's going to win the national title. And they blow the lead that game. And yep. then two weeks later against Bama, the exact same thing. They were up 24-3 and blow the lead. And then they kind of took out their frustrations the next week on Kirby's first Georgia team, who you had Eason, but Eason was throwing to guys like my height. Like it, he, there was, there was not the piece, like there was one piece on offense that seemed pretty good in a running back, but they were still filling in. I would say. Yeah, Chubb was coming off of injury. Sony had been hurt a little bit up to that point, and so no, that was one where just watching Georgia's on. I mean. Every, I think it's pretty obvious what Georgia's undersized corners, uh, the, the second and 26 issues that they've had there. But <laughs> the, I mean, just watching AJ Brown, um, and DK go up against, uh, up against Georgia's five foot nine Mark Rick ass recruited corners is something that I never want to see again. Yeah. It's a, what was, what was the, like, what was so weird about the way that year ended up is, I remember after that game, we had gotten back to the house and we were watching a Scott Van Pelt segment or something. And he was like, "Yeah, Ole Miss is like they might be the best one and two team in the country." That was kind of the sports media buzz line. And he was like, "They're really good when they want to be or whatever." And then that year ends, Ole Miss goes five and seven, loses fifty five to twenty in a to a five and seven Mississippi State team at home, and that's the last game Hugh Freeze ever coaches. Like the way that year rapidly declined after that. And the way that defense just became one of the worst in college football after you thought that team might be a playoff team is one of the more rapid declines I've ever seen. Like, judging that team in November as opposed to, like, August or September was just a wild concept. They were two different football teams. I was about to say, speaking of wild concepts, the uh, the Hugh Freeze at Liberty train is something that, I don't know, I'm sure it gets a lot more play on airwaves in, in Mississippi than it does in Louisiana. But just the things that I have... I've heard trickle down out of out of uh, Liberty. Just seems like nothing has changed with you. Yeah, and then you had that deal a couple weeks ago where it sounded like he had like a very serious staff infection or some kind of infection to it. Like like it put him in the hospital. Like it was very serious. But they they instead of initially diagnose like release that as the reason, and they may not have known. I don't know the full details there. They said back spasms, and I'm just like. Go look at that guy's last eighteen months, and maybe you could have made something else up. Like that's that's not the the greatest label for a you know a, a, a massage connoisseur. I don't I don't really know how to say it. Any other way I, to say that? I, I was about to say back back spasms only leave the imagination open to a litany of things. If they would have said, yeah, no, he just had to go to a hospital for a staph infection. I think that would have been pretty cut and dry. Yeah, I just even if it was, even if they thought it was back spasms at the time, maybe just make something else up. Like have a little self awareness. Uh, please, please send, please send all Hugh Freeze injury thoughts to compliance <laughs> at OleMiss.edu. <laughs> something like that. Anything better than back spasms? So, 
football is back. Football was kind of back last week. Um, I loved Week Zero. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm honestly, truthfully, probably more of an NFL guy. Like, if you made me pick, but I like college football. I like watching it. I like the drama, the pageantry, all that stuff. I think the way the sport is structured is somewhat stupid. But point being, like, when you get football that counts on your television again, like you're gonna watch. And just to see, like, the, I guess, internet backlash to, like, how bad the football was, I was kind of like, who cares? It was kind of awesome anyway. Yeah, see, that was something that I never really understood because I, I, I don't know really what everyone else typically watches during week one, but I never got the impression that, like, this was a week where we just watched complete, polished, ready football. I mean, the, it it's... It, it, I feel like a lot of these week one showcases in a lot of the neutral fight games have overshadowed the fact that week one for basically the history of college football and week two and three in a lot of cases have been huge tune-up weeks. There's a reason that the Austin Peays and the Murray States and the Middle Tennessees of the world are on all these big school schedules is because they need to beat the shit out of somebody before they actually get into conference play. And so I think for a, a lot of these big games over the last decade or so, you start with these neutral site classic games in Dallas or Houston or, or Charlotte or wherever. And I think there is a propensity to have some of those games look sloppy. But when you're the only game on TV that day, it's kind of exacerbated. You're going to have some week one games that are going to be just total shit shows where power five schools are going to have – 15 penalties and 150 yards and just look absolutely terrible, but it's not going to be just in the spotlight the only thing on your TV that day. If, uh, like a couple of years ago, ten, uh, Appalachian State brought Tennessee to overtime. If that was the only game on week zero, it would be, it would be analyzed and broken down every single little, every single play. And so I think that Florida didn't look great, Miami didn't look great. Florida's got a little bit more to play for this year, but I think people just overall that are indicting the entire product of Week Zero college football are kind of looking at it with too much of a microscope. Yeah, no, that's a really good point because like all these 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 neutral site games and these like marquee matchups have basically blinded people to the fact that yeah, teams suck in Week One, but like you see it like if you follow a team, you see it like in your own like in like individually in your own right because like Ole Miss last year went and played Texas Tech in Houston. And played pretty good, like beat him forty-seven to twenty-seven. Yeah. The defense actually hey, played, looked solid, didn't he? Yeah, and the defense, which was the big question mark with that team, like looked fairly competent, you know, in the second half. And you know, they were fully healthy at the time and all that. And of course, you get a couple of injuries in, and then you get two and three weeks in. You're like, actually, this defense sucks. Like, so like you just really can't ever tell the first couple of weeks. And then last year, you had. I mean, everyone thought Orgeron was going to be fired, and Miami was going to run a train on LSU, and quite literally the exact opposite happened you just don't know yeah and and this comes into the entire uh, there's a whole preseason poll argument based based into this and then it becomes this entire indictment on well do the polls even matter and well we need some sort of historical context to determine what so-and-so looked like in week three this year versus week three in 1962 or whatever and I ultimately think that the polls don't really matter, but you can't get rid of them. If the AP stops doing the poll, Bleacher Report's going to do a poll and everyone's going to follow that. So ultimately, I think that you need some sort of, and whether it's arbitrary or not, some sort of demarcation to just push TV ratings, because as dumb as it sounds, if you throw a 9 and a 16 next to a, a particular 
two teams and, and put that on TV, that's going to have a hell of a lot higher viewership than if you don't market those at all. And so I do think that there is a, a huge viewership aspect that is tied into the polls. But I, I, I think ultimately you are dealing with a situation where this isn't really any different than a typical college football season, but I think people are going to overreact to it because of how little – I think people are really just fiending right now. They got that first little taste in week zero, and as opposed to waiting for the rest of the entire slate this week like normal, you have to overanalyze and break down every single little thing that happened from the eight quarters of football that we saw. Yeah, and like ironically, I guess with with as much as college football doesn't necessarily get right, they've got like the one poll that matters doesn't come out until October. So I guess at least they've gotten that right. Like if they started doing college football playoff like rankings and stuff, you know, starting from like week two on, can you imagine what a disaster that would be? It, I mean, there would be now. There is a reason that the rating show operates the way in which it does, but my God, that would be having to have Kirk Herbstreit hop on there on September 6th and tell us why he thinks Washington is a top four team would be excruciating. (laughs) Do you have any, uh, what do you have your eye on as far as week, week one? So the week one schedule is, I'll categorize it as interesting. Because there's some fascinating games that aren't necessarily marquee matchups, particularly on Saturday. But then the primetime games we get on Sunday and Monday, I get what what the goal was. Because at the time, like if you're thinking back three and four years when these games were scheduled, they were probably supposed to be pretty good games. But like Houston, Oklahoma on Sunday and Notre Dame, Louisville on Monday, we kind of got shafted there. Yeah, and that was. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I was having this conversation with the buddy the other day. Of, I wonder if the schedule schedule makers will start to understand how some of these schools are so coach dependent that they may not start scheduling them in marquee spots anymore. Like you take a Louisville or a Houston, for example, that are playing on on Sunday and and or I guess Monday and Sunday respectively. But those two teams are. I don't want to say complete Louisville less so than uh, Houston, but I don't want to say they're completely coach dependent. But if you look at them, they they both have lost a coach that kind of defined the culture for that program and basically gave that program the reason and the justification for being in these primetime slots. So you lose a Tom Herman, and I won't necessarily say the second stint of Bobby Petrino, but you generally just lose Bobby Petrino and what he is means to the Louisville football program. And I think you end up with a game that really ultimately doesn't mean anything. I mean, Notre Dame and Oklahoma, I think, are at least three touchdown favorites. Um, and so you end up, I wonder in the future if the schedule makers will say, hey, Tom Herman right now is at Houston and they're looking good, or whoever, Dana, or whoever is down at UCF or USF. But maybe in three or four years when this game is actually slated to play, that team could take a regression because, ex-coach may not be there anymore and so I'm wondering if some of these group of five teams in the future get left out of some of these prime time spots because the schedule makers aren't confident that their coaches will stay there yeah you need helmet games like LSU Texas which you do obviously get in week two but stuff that you know because like even like if you put like hell I don't know I mean that wasn't it was Florida State Alabama a couple years ago in that right like 
And Florida yeah. State didn't end up being any good, but you can catch a school like that even in a down year. No people are going to watch it. No, at least there's probably going to be a better chance that that's a good game to your point than a school like Houston or no, or Louisville to where you lose a Petrino, you lose a Tom Herman or whatever, and the like the the entire program's drastically different. But it's weird, like these week one games. Like there's several games that I'm like kind of like very much interested in, like even like a UCLA Cincinnati or something like that, to where these they aren't necessarily yeah. huge name brands. But North they're kind Western of fascinating Stanford's games. Another one for me. Yeah, and then honestly, dude, to, and, and it, it, this probably didn't have much national intrigue. But Ole Miss Memphis is fascinating to me. Oh my god, that that worked. Work. So I'm going to Nashville this weekend for the Georgia Vandy game. But we've actually like we've planned like we got reservations at a place for 11 a.m. so we could be there to watch the, the Memphis Ole Miss game. So as someone, it's always interesting to me to get because I'm like here every day. I go and watch these practices and watch the same shit over and over and over again. But it's always interesting to me to get people's like gauge of Ole Miss or perception of Ole Miss from outside you know, Mississippi outside the program or whatever. So, like, Memphis is a fluctuated anywhere from a five- to a seven-point favorite in this game. It's probably going to settle at five-and-a-half or six. You know, for Ole Miss, this is a massive game because, one, you know, I don't know if you've looked at Ole Miss's schedule, but if they're going to get back to bowl eligibility, you're going to know by the month of September. I've kind of categorized yeah, yeah. it as September's a three-part test and you got to pass two of the three sections because you go – you know, you go Memphis, then Arkansas, and then Southeastern Louisiana. If if you can't handle that, you you've got bigger issues on your hands. And then Cal Correct. at the end of the month. And so there, there's a path for Ole Miss to get back to the postseason, get back to six or seven wins. But you have to make your hay in September because you can't afford to go one and two or zero oh and three in those because you're sunk. Like you're going three and nine if that's the case, or possibly worse. And so this is fascinating to me because you have. Two new coordinators who seemingly know what they're doing. I mean, Rich Rod and Mike McIntyre have been, you know, head coaches of the year, two different conferences. One of them's national coach of the year, and you have Matt Corral, who is by default the veteran in the room because the the three guys trying to be his backup are true freshmen, and he's the veteran because he's played limited action in four games and is a redshirt freshman. Some interesting pieces on offense, a defense that. I think we'll just naturally be better by default because I just don't see how it could be any worse than last year. I think McIntyre's scheme fits them better because when you don't have talent having a 3-4 and guys having to cover less space generally just makes things simpler. But then you have this Memphis team who, if they beat Ole Miss, could very well run the table and go undefeated into that Cincinnati game at the end of the year. I don't know how this game's going to go. I would lean Memphis. Like If you're betting this, I think the play is probably either Ole Miss money line or Memphis with Memphis minus five and a half or whatever it is because I think if Memphis wins they go going away. But like this game is fascinating for a number of different reasons because for Ole Miss one it's not just making your hay they've got to reinvigorate a fan base that is checked out. I mean season tickets are way down, largely apathetic. Like if you lose this and you lose Arkansas, you there's going to be ten thousand people at the Southeastern Eastern Louisiana game a week later. Yeah, no, yeah, Ole Miss is definitely in a position where. And I think that there is a weird geography, and y'all would certainly know better than I, but it, it would seem that not only is it just this, it's a group of five team that is a, is a favorite. Ole Miss is playing on the road. There is this little bit of, of uh, geographic, um, I, I don't know, I don't know if it's the Ole Miss versus Memphis is considered a rivalry or if it's just so close that the national or the outside perception is that it's a rivalry. But, I mean, Ole Miss, just looking at Ole Miss's schedule, it seems completely dependent upon 
momentum from week one because you go into Memphis and you pick up a win, and those are the type of games where I could see an Ole Miss beating a team like a Missouri if it looks like versus Memphis, okay, they have things put together, they have things a, a little bit more coordinated. Something like Vanderbilt at home I think is completely reasonable to pick up a W. Um, but, no, you, you, you're completely right. If the defense is not improved, if, if Rich Rod – um, and McIntyre just looked at as this isn't a place that they're trying to actually get their start again. Like, this is just a retread job where they need a paycheck and they know Matt Luke, yada, yada, yada. Then I think Ole Miss could be in for a, I don't want to say a world of trouble this year because, I mean, ultimately, I, I, I don't see that, I don't see less than four wins or more than seven. And so I, I don't know how y'all see that going. Exactly that. Um, what, and, and so I, I I would imagine that Ole Miss, to me, doesn't really seem as frisky as they did in the past. Like, I think their defense will be a little bit better, but it seems like their offense, I don't I, I don't have the greatest gauge on Corral, but I do know that it seems like there is a lot that needs to be replaced from the previous couple of years. Um, and so I would imagine that Ole Miss is in a situation where if you can hit bowl eligibility, it might end up not being the best thing in the world because it could then instill a little bit more confidence in Matt Luke. Um, but if you went three and nine or four and eight, I think it would spell the certainty that some Ole Miss fans have been looking for with him. Because this was the year when the sanctions hit that it was supposed to be a bottoming out. But at the same time, if you're Matt Luke and say they go, like I've, I've been on record, I think they go five and seven. I've, 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 that's kind of what I've settled on. I don't necessarily see three and nine unless the. So their biggest thing on offense is they have some really interesting pieces at receiver, and it sounds nuts knowing what they lost last year, but they could actually be a deeper team at receiver this year because you had the three guys, but they only played really four receivers last year, and they could play seven to eight in a given game this year. They've got some, and they're different type of receivers. There's Elijah Moore, I think, is probably one of the best kept secrets um, in the conference as a slot guy. He had 36 catches amongst that receiving core last year as a true freshman. But point being, the biggest question is on the offensive line because they have very little to no depth. I mean, you've got five guys that have played a decent bit of football. After that, it's nothing. Um, I mean, you, you could potentially have two, three true freshmen on the second part of the two deep. So I, I'm in kind of in agreement with you. I do think, though, the, the big offseason thing was like, yeah, Matt Luke potentially hired two guys that could take over as interim if things go bad. I don't necessarily see it that way because, to, to your point, if Mike McIntyre and Rich Rodriguez want to be head coaches again, this has to work. Like, their resume probably speaks for themselves that they could probably get some job regardless. But if they want to be a high major head coach again, like, this has to be good. Oh, yeah. They'll say, they'll say, I mean, they, they've been around and they've honestly probably made enough money to be okay. But yeah, they've been around in this coaching fraternity long enough to where they'll, they'll never get, there is, I mean, Butch Jones is an analyst for God's sakes, over at Alabama or whatever he is. So there there are enough big schools with enough positions that they can pay people $111,000 a year to look at one or two little things that, that a, a particular team may be doing on offense or defense that they'll stay employed forever. But you're completely right. These, these guys have come to Ole Miss for the thought that I want to get back into coaching because – I don't think you necessarily take a coordinating job at a Power 5 school if you're looking to just kind of fade into the distance, collect a paycheck, and retire. 
these seem like, I mean, it's a relatively high-profile job. I mean, here we are on a podcast fucking breaking down the ins and outs of it. And so, for the most part, they understand that they're going to be uh, open to criticism and and open to, um, I mean, just a, a lot more public eyes on them with them being in an SEC-type job. And so, if this is something that they want to be employed, even at an FCS or a group of five level at some point, no, this absolutely has to work for both of them. Are we getting Georgia Bama round three? You know, I'm glad I'm glad you brought this up just because we're in a situation where you're painted into one of two corners sort of as, as a takesman. And that is going to be, all right, we're going to predict the chalk thing that should happen or – I'm going to air something that sounds really, really stupid. And so it would be, it, I would be shocked if we didn't see LSU or, or uh, Georgia Bama around three. But then again, I, I don't completely, I, I'll say this as a Georgia fan, it's going to be the Georgia end that I think would um, be the, the variable there and not the Alabama end. I just think that the, I think the Floridas and the, I don't want to see South Carolinas of the world, but teams like that could give um, Georgia a little bit more trouble than I think that Alabama is going to face on their end. I don't know who's going to stop Alabama this year. I mean, like, legitimately, they had the best offense in the country last year and brought back everyone. I mean, I know Jonah Williams and some people on the offensive line um, ended up moving on, but every single person in a skill position is coming back, and I, I, I just don't see how they don't put up 500 yards and 50 points a game. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, you we're hearing. I mean, you're Baton, you're from Baton Rouge. You kind of grew up with it your whole life. How many times have you heard that LSU is opening up the offense and running the spread? Like, it, it, oh, and I know they're pumping this more it, than they ever it, have. But how, how are you supposed to believe it at this point until you see it's not, it? And it's and it's like it, I, I don't know if they realize, but them showing me an Instagram video that they're able to complete a pass against no defense is not something that is going to convince me that. LSU and Ed Orgeron, of all people, are opening the offense up. And I've said this many times. I, I, I'm not telling you that LSU has the inability to open up an offense, but I am telling you that I would be a moron to say I'm going to believe it before I actually see it. And it's just not a team that has done anything other than run the ball, run the ball, punt the ball, or run the ball, run the ball, pass the ball, punt the ball. And so, I mean, this is dating back. This is This is – Jerry DiNardo, this is Nick Saban, this is Les Miles, this is Ed Orgeron. I mean, this is not a coaching thing. This is something in Baton Rouge that once you get off of I-10, you no longer have the ability to be a competent passer. And I know LSU's had some decent quarterbacks with Mettenberger and Jamarcus Russell and Matt Bach and yada yada, but, I mean, this ultimately has not been a team within the last 10 years that you've been able to say, yeah, you know, I trust them to be able to move the ball when I actually need them to move the ball. And that's not because of a lack of talent. It's insane, though. Because, like, you even at a school like Ole Miss, you go from, you know, I mean, hell, I think in the last couple of years, like, if you would have put Bo Wallace, a healthy Bo Wallace, on one of those teams, it would have yep. probably been a slight upgrade. Then you go, like, Chad Kelly, Shea Patterson, go to Missouri, it's, you know, Drew Locke, that- and then they get a Kelly Bryant. Like, how does that not how does I, you're looking like you're looking at all the like they can't get they can't get a you look at any other SEC school A and M said I mean Kellen Mond looking like he's a beast they've had Johnny in there I'm not going to mention Kenny Trill I mean but you look at Georgia LSU's best quarterback in the last decade was a guy that didn't beat out Aaron Murray for the starting job and then had a sexual harassment charge and got dismissed from the team 
And so, like, this is LSU's best quarterback was a, was Georgia's second best quarterback for a period of time. And so, like, you look at any school around the SEC where Shea Patterson, Jordan Tayamu, how can LSU not end up getting a guy like that? I mean, I, I'm not going, like, I'm not going to kill them for not going crazy and missing on a guy like Dak Prescott, who was like a three star dual threat that really developed and worked in Dan Mullen's offense. Like, I, I get he was from Louisiana, but that guy was never coming into LSU to start. Maybe a little bit because they weren't inventive enough to be able to use them. But but it, it really is getting to the point where if they're not able to hit on one of these guys. Now, Joe Burrow's been, been solid. And I do think that ultimately that he can be, an, I'd say, a top five quarterback in the SEC this year. And if he is, I mean, I think... I don't want to say the sky's the limit for LSU, but it, I don't think it would shock anyone to say, okay, they go 11-1 and one with a loss to Bama or, or, or something along those lines. Um, but, no, I mean, they're at the point where if Miles Brennan, who is replacing him, is not up to snuff and they're not able to bring somebody in, there's legitimately has to be a deep dive asking why can't LSU recruit and develop a competent quarterback. I think uh, I think Ross Dellinger, who's at, who was at the advocate, obviously, for a long time mm-hmm. is now at Sports Illustrated, did something on it a while back. But I think, if to your point, if it if it doesn't work again, it it probably needs to be revisited. And it's I'm I'm glad you brought up Burrow because he's created a huge divide on our radio show. Because out of the four of us, there's two of us that I think Burrow. They, I'm a Burrow stand. Like I've kind of stuck my neck out for the guys. So if he sucks, I'm going to look like an idiot. But like I think he could be competent enough too for LSU to be pretty good. Um, but uh, uh, the guy that covers state for us, and I think I can't, I can't remember if it's our producer Borky or Richard that's uh, that's down on two. But anyway, it's a two-two split. I think he could be pretty good. I saw enough from him last year. But I just don't know like what the ceiling is and if that ceiling's high enough to actually challenge Alabama from for the West. The only other team, really, because I think A&M's a year away, Auburn might be the most fascinating team in the conference. Because when we were, I was talking with a guy yesterday at practice about like you know who Ole Miss could beat and who are the available wins on the schedule if everything falls in the right direction, and they catch Auburn in late October and like. Auburn's either going to be a college football playoff contender or Gus is going to be gone by the end of September. I don't see any in between. Do you? No, and and this is something I, I'm glad I got a chance to ask you this. Is this a Gus Malzahn thing? Is this an Auburn thing? Is this a weird combination that, like, not only have the seasons that they've ended up being really good have just come out of absolute nowhere, but is this a team that, like, is it a Gus Malzahn feature in some capacity that I don't know whether it's the offense that he runs that it's just a little different with this kind of spread option out of the shotgun or, or whatever it is, but does, does Gus Malzahn have something innately tied to him that makes us as fans, media, whatever, say, I have no fucking clue what Auburn's going to do this year. <laughs> like, I, I, I simply, year to year, you could tell – I mean, do you remember the Jeremy Johnson year? He was going to be a Heisman winner. Yeah. They were going to be the number one team in the country. I mean, they, didn't they go out and I think they went eight and four that year? And then the year after that, I think in 2016, they weren't supposed to be good at all. Sean White ends up stepping in there. They end up 10 and one going into Athens, losing to an unranked Georgia team. I, I just, there is nothing about Auburn this year included that makes me say, all right, well, yeah, they're going to go 11 and one or they're going to go seven and five and Gus is finally gone this year. 
And it's like, it, I, I'm not being this guy to be like, see, he's not that good a coach. I'm just saying it from this vantage point. If you take out the two SEC title game appearances, and then, of course, they uh, what they go to the national title game. Was that the last year of the BCS, the kick six and all that? Yeah, in 2013. Yeah, so you take out yeah. those two, and he's a four-loss coach. But, again, you can't discount that. He's gone to two SEC title games. He's a fascinating – like, his tenure at Auburn is fascinating because it, in a lot of ways doesn't make a ton of sense. And so – but if, if this Bo Nix kid is good, other than maybe being a little shaky on the offensive line, which honestly could hurt them a, a pretty good bit because you have to run the ball in that system, they got everything else. That defensive line's going to be nasty. The defense as a whole should be really good. If Nix is good, they could be really, really dangerous. But if he's not, and the losses start piling up, particularly as front load as that schedule is, they could have an interim by October. Yeah, and that, I mean... They really are, in it. and the craziest part is, if you get an interim, shit doesn't just magically get easier with Georgia and Bama at the end of the schedule. I think they'd give up. I think they'd check out, because that was my argument. Because we were going through Ole Miss's thing the other day, and like we got to like seven wins that were reasonable, and then like we threw in A and M. Maybe if you get an injury riddled A and M team, because Ole Miss catches them at home, and then I threw in Auburn because I was like, hey, look, if they're bad by that point. Gus is gone. Like that team's probably gonna quit, are they not? Like it, 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 it would. Like that would seem to be just the slippery slope towards disaster. So if you catch a disinterested Auburn team, maybe Ole Miss gets lucky again. This was this was doing ridiculous hypotheticals, but I mean it's not that far out of the realm of possibility because I think if they were almost they were trying to get together money, you know, thirty something million dollars to get him gone last year. If they fire him in September, like I, why is that team continuing to play hard? I know, and, and the, the the wildest writing on the wall was just the moment they started to try and renegotiate his buyout lower, I was thinking, all right, well, it doesn't matter if it's now or next year or three years from now. Gus Malzahn is not the future plan for Auburn. I mean, legit, like, legitimately, Gus Malzahn could win. I, I don't think Auburn's going to win the national championship this year, but Gus Malzahn could make the playoff this year and legitimately be on the hot—I don't want to say on the hot seat next year, but if he started next season one and two, would still have people calling for his head. I think it was Shrewdy went with Knicks over Gatewood too. I'm not saying Knicks isn't the better quarterback, but like you go nine and three with the true freshman as opposed to Joey Gatewood, he might might get another year just because if it, it depends yeah. on who they beat. Like if they finish and the I, year strong and pick off Georgia or Alabama, it's like okay, nine and three. This kid's a sophomore, a lot coming back. If you do that with Gatewood, you, there's not really much to get excited about. I agree, and I think that he really has. Some people said, I've heard eight wins a lot, but I think if he doesn't touch nine wins, there's no chance that he comes back. And I'd be completely honest, I, I, would, say, I would say he has to hit ten wins to have his job secured. And not necessarily regular season, but I think January ten and three. Or, or February, February 1st of next year, I think he needs to have logged ten wins in the last college football season to guarantee himself a, a 2020 season at Auburn. Who's in the playoff? Like, I always poke fun at, like, because, like, oh, like I, I don't get too terribly mostly invested in college football uh, in the sense that, like, because I think that, like, the playing field cracks me up to where it's just so unbalanced. Like, the, there's really no room for parity. I still enjoy it. Like I said, it just, I kind of like to poke fun at it sometimes. Like, are we getting Clemson, Alabama again? Is it Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Ohio State? Like, what's, what, what are we getting this year? I'll say this. I don't know what, I don't know exactly what we're getting. I think Oklahoma will be in. 
and I think two SEC teams will be in. And so, and Clemson, obviously. So I think it'll be Clemson, Oklahoma, and two SEC teams. And so, whether that is, I think one of them is Bama, and I think the second one is going to either be Georgia or LSU in some in some capacity. The, the most interesting scenario I would I would imagine would be Bama runs the table, Georgia runs the table, twelve and O Bama beats twelve and O Georgia in the SEC championship. But then you also have. 11 and 1 LSU. And so you have a 12 and 1 Georgia versus an 11 1 and LSU in a pissing contest to see who gets the four spot. That would be probably the greatest and or worst scenario that my brain could uh, comprise with me living in Baton Rouge right now. Um, but I think it's, it's some, in some way we're going to have a weird two SEC team again. For Georgia fans, media, whatever you want to call it, like, I mean, the, the the stat about the minutes they've led with two losses and all that, like everyone's fully aware of that. If they are to get Bamba a third time and beat them, what does that change? I, I mean, at this point, I think more than anything, it's like this is the annoying part, I, I would say, is someone that is mildly uh, keeps up with Georgia. Georgia knows they can beat Alabama, and I think that is the most annoying part because everyone else says, well, why didn't you do it? If you could beat them, you probably should beat them then. And I completely agree. If they could beat them, they should have beat them. Yeah, but the guy I, I who think, does that is just being an antagonist. Anyone with two I, eyeballs I, that watch those two games knows that. Absolutely. And, I mean, Georgia legitimately cost Tua a Heisman Trophy. So the 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 – I think anyone that isn't trying to specifically get under my skin, a.k.a. the two people that live with me, um, I, I think that it is a situation where Georgia, it's really just self-validation. It's just, like, personally, Nick Saban has caused me so much pain in my life growing up an LSU fan and then becoming a – or going to Georgia. I, I, between the 2012 SEC Championship, the 2015 rain game, and then to the, the – uh, last two SEC or national championships, I have had very few fond experiences with Nick Saban. And so I just really personally, I just want to be able to dunk on a couple of my friends that went to Bamba for like 45 seconds in my life. <laughs> All right, last thing before I let you go, you got any locks this week? Oh, man. I, I, my college football gambling has been – it was really solid last year, and I don't know if it was just work or whatever, but I walked or I, I pulled up the lines this past season, and I was like, I have not been plugged in from a gambling perspective in a way that I haven't been in probably three or four years. But one thing that I that, that did really, really jump out to me, um, I think Alabama is just going to fucking boat race Duke. I, I, I don't know. I. I mean, I know that's a 35-point line, but I legitimately think Bama could beat him 62 to 10. Yeah, I'm kind of in agreement with you because all those we like you're you're always tempted to be like, you know what, like you know David Cutcliffe offensive mind could get a couple touchdowns later that Alabama's just gonna like rip out their souls. Yeah, yeah, and I, I I'm it, the the one I'm definitely most interested in though is the LSU Georgia Southern one because. Just growing up around Georgia, I know how fucking pesky Georgia Southern can be. I mean, they took Georgia, a relatively bad Georgia team, to overtime in 2015. And obviously they beat Florida in 2013. They're just a really funky team running that. It's kind of a combination between, like, a true triple and what Georgia Tech does 
and really that really like big time spread them out option offense that Auburn does. It's a it's a weird shotgun triple option and it's cool and since they're playing them week one, I think LSU should be okay. But there's just a lot of sets that normal teams that don't play against the option very often aren't used to running. And so I think LSU wins handily, but I do think the, the four-touchdown line is a little bit interesting. So I think that there's a chance that we could look up and be like, oh, six minutes left in the third, it's only 24-10 to 10 LSU. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be a fascinating week one. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. Ole Miss has that 11 a.m. game, so when I get done working, I think I could get back to Oxford, you know, 5 o'clock or so, unless stuff has really gone sideways and actually watch some football for a change. So I'm pretty jacked up about it, dude. Lastly, before we go, let them know where you can find all the Armchair Podcasts one more time because you definitely need to go check that out. It's a cool site. They have no filter, much like me in some ways, um, but they could definitely take it to another level. It is uh, is an awesome site. You need to go check out all their audio, everything else, written stuff as well. Just let them know where you can find everything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we are definitely uh, – we are not the most, I'd say, reverent uh, group of people, but it's not it's not <laughs> a network that you're going to come for the, the biggest analysis. And so you got all the places where you can get X's and O's if you want to – joke around and laugh and shoot the shit a little bit i'd say that that's where uh that's kind of the niche that we can occupy but we're going to be armchairmedianetwork.com and you can see all of our podcasts on our homepage there and then at armchair media on instagram and on twitter and so um yeah please follow along we'll just be posting some audio clips we'll do some countdown stuff for some throwback stuff on our on our main pages and so um, a lot of nostalgia posting content and then some of the, the actual original stuff that we produce. And so we're small right now, but definitely excited to, uh, to be transitioning into the audio side of things and see what's going on. He's Andrew Stevens. He will be back, hopefully, if he's willing to come oh, back yeah. a couple times what throughout you, the season. Yeah, yeah dude, I, I, told say, you, I told you 15 to 20 minutes. <laughs> I told you 15 time, to 20 uh, minutes, and we're on minute 45. <laughs> Hey, yeah, I was about to say, I, the, the moment you said that we'll hop on for a little bit, I figured that there wasn't a fucking chance that, that would happen. But, um, yeah, no, any anytime uh, it looks like Baton Rouge or Athens is burning down, give me a call and I'll try to uh, give you my best take. Absolutely, dude. Be good. Absolutely. You too, Rip. Peace, bud. And that was Andrew Stevens. Uh, I had a lot of fun uh, just chatting for 45 minutes. Uh, It just kind of went off the rails. We talked a lot of different stuff. We talked about Alabama-Georgia round three. We talked about maybe how an outsider views Ole Miss. And honestly, for at least, obviously he doesn't speak for everyone, but he kind of views it similar to maybe people closer to the program do. You know, he was like, look, Ole Miss, there is a path for Ole Miss to get there. They're going to have to make their hay, you know, blah, blah, blah in September and all that. Um, but he he made a, he brought up an interesting point, and I was actually saying this last night. What happens if Ole Miss goes 6-6 six and six this year? Everybody gets excited. Expectations are raised. Because there still is this – the program is so far down right now, and this is probably going to upset some people, and I don't really care. I'm just pull- – whipping out a hypothetical. I don't think this is necessarily going to be the case. What happens, say Ole Miss is pretty good this year, they go 6-6, six and six. there's still an element of, hey, let's get this thing back to where Hugh Freeze got it, which is a place that hasn't been in 50 years. It might not even be possible 
do you fall victim to your own expectations if this team overachieves this year? Well, it depends on what, what – I mean, is 6-6 six and six to you overachieving? I'm talking about after that. I'm like, people get on excited about the 6-6 six and six thing. The fan base is reinvigorated. People care again. Season tickets start going up. What's next is what I'm saying. Because I think people are going to expect Matt Luke to get it back where Hugh Freeze had it. And I'm not even sure – I'm not sure that's just – I'm not positive that's a reasonable ask. Um, I mean, maybe, but it, it's tough because, okay, Hugh Freeze was extremely inefficient when when re- recruiting. Like, I mean, obviously he was not good at time management. My man was, was taking upon other practices on his recruiting trips. Um is it not possible? Because I think this coaching staff is, is better than Hugh Freeze's staff, right? Like from, from McIntyre and Rodriguez, this is a better staff, right? But if the team is good, they're probably not around. Okay, that that's certainly fair. But I think if, look, if Matt's had one, you know, redeeming quality about him, and, and I like Matt, I'm not trying to talk down on him. He's hired really good football coaches, in my opinion. Um, and I think he would replicate that. I don't necessarily think it's impossible to get this back to where Hugh Freeze had it. Um, but I think it'll be extremely hard with, you know, how the NCAA is operating with Ole Miss and that type of thing. Look, I think if Matt can produce a solid winner for two or three years, I mean, whether that's 6-6 six six or 7-5, and five, I, I think people will be excited about that regardless. Yeah, and uh, I don't think he'd mind me sharing this story. So last night, this is kind of funny. So last night we were walking out of practice, and I was walking by, I was walking there with, uh, walking out to the parking lot with Neil, and... We got out of the door of, like, the media room or whatever, and we saw Matt Luke. Like, he's got, like, his uh, windbreaker on or whatever. And he's walking out in that parking lot, like, where, you know, like, some of the players park and then, like, the students park to go eat in the 1810, like, or Manning Grill, whatever they want to call that nowadays. And we were like, what is he doing? And he was kind of just walking around, like, kind of just sauntering around the parking lot, not walking really fast. And then he gets in his car and, like, pulls up to us, and he was like, what's up? And we were like, are you lost? And he was like, no. And I was like, you don't have your own parking spot? He's like, no, I just like parking on this side. <laughs> and he's like, honestly, I have a back exit out of my office, and like, if I, I kind of like walking this way. And I was like, okay. I, I just thought it was funny. It's like the most normal thing ever. And he was like, I'm about to go to Boo Ray. Y'all want to come? And like, clearly he was joking because he's doing the coach's show. But, like, I don't know. He seems like a – I mean, he's a nice, normal guy. And the sense of, like, genuineness and normalness is yeah. refreshing. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with his football coaching abilities, whatever you may think about his qualifications. None of that. I just find the sense of, like, normalness is refreshing. He would be an interesting dude to have a beer with or a very just, like – not average, but, like, very normal dude to go, like, drink a beer with. I, I found that to be funny. He was just like, what's up? Matt's, Matt's a good dude, uh, and, and hopefully for his sake, he wins here. Uh, yeah, I mean, especially after uh, the last coaching fiasco, it, it, it is sort of refreshing to have decent human beings uh, coaching that you that you cover. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I just found that funny because I, I started laughing. He's like, "No, I just like parking on this side." I'm like, okay. <laughs> um. So yeah. Anyway, there. Um. I don't really have a whole lot else. Is there anything going on? Like, I mean, so uh. I, I was gonna let, let, let's do a, a thing where we we make our picks for the week. Um, since we have games on Thursday night, we don't have to go over all of them. I tell you what, why don't we do this? Why don't you like pick, and, and it can extend into Friday's show. Why don't we pick like five games each week that we like would bet, and we keep up with uh, who has the most at the end of the week. 
Okay. Um. So let's you just from Thursday night. Yeah. Basically, let's just start that in, for the Thursday night because obviously we won't have a Thursday podcast, and then continue on into Friday. Let me pull this up really quick. So okay. you're about to have five, a minute and a half of bad podcasting. Um. I mean, I can pull the lines up if that's what we're looking for. Yeah, I just, I, I'm dealing with the internet in this black hole of a studio. All right. All right, here we go. I'll read you all of uh, Thursday night's lines off. You tell me if you want one. All right, hold uh, on. Talk up a little bit. I, we, you lost right. you for a second. All right, UCF minus 47 and a half versus Florida A&M. You want anything to do with that? No, go, let's go normal ones. <laughs> okay. Uh, Georgia Tech plus 37 at Clemson. I'll be that guy. Georgia Tech plus 37. Okay. Uh, I'm not touching that. Uh, BYU plus six and a half versus Utah. Uh, Utah. Okay. So well, You can only pick five for the week now, too. So are, are, you, are you taking those two for the week? Let's go to ten. Let's do okay, ten. Let's do ten? All right. That'll work. Let's see. I'm trying to find normal games. There's a lot of crap games on Thursday night. Uh, UCLA Cincinnati is the only other one I'm going to do. Okay, UCLA Cincinnati. Which one? Uh, UCLA plus three is is gone. Um. Ooh. I think I'm going to go Cincinnati. I think they're going to be really good. Okay. I'm going to go uh, Utah minus six and a half. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go UCLA plus three, and I'm going to go. I'm going to. That's probably going to be the only. That's, I'm only going to take those two. UCLA plus three and Utah minus six and a half. Okay, so we'll have that, and then we'll continue it on Friday with like the weekend slate of games because yeah, people yeah. will be really in the mood for all that. So yeah, that's good. We got the Thursday ones out of the way. Um, that's about all I got for today. We gave you a nice juicy interview with Andrew Stevens. We'll have Mailbag Friday. Um, so we'll continue to do Mailbag Friday. I might have to crack down on some of the questions and not like like by merit, I mean literally just answer some of them so we can get to the some of the other stuff we want to do on Friday. I know people like Mailbag Friday. It is the people's holiday. Um, I like Mailbag Friday. Yeah, we need – I mean, I like it too. We need to get shirts made for it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I started – I mean, full just like inside baseball here. I started that because we were approaching the end of the baseball season. It was hitting summer. There was absolutely nothing to talk about. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make the listeners do the work for me. A little life hack there. Um, and then it kind of took on a life of its own. So I'm down to keep the mailbag Friday. Like, I, I don't want to stray away from that. But I might do a set number because we answer every single question we get no matter how many. I might restrict it a little bit and save, like, some of the other ones if they're not time sensitive for Monday or other weeks or whatever so we can get to the line so we maybe have a guest on Friday whatever old miss is doing other interesting stuff that's happened there's just going to be more happening on stuff that I think that's probably the best way to go seems fair to me um sweet certainly fair so um I don't really have anything to plug I'll have a story coming out either tomorrow or Thursday I talked to uh, old pal Sean Rawlings about his time and kind of being thrown into the fire um, as a redshirt freshman, I know it's not the exact same thing. Nick Broker and maybe a couple of these other guys a uh, little later in the year come are going to be up against because they are true freshmen. But he still has kind of the similar perspective as kind of a guy who wasn't necessarily maybe not completely physically ready to play yet. Um, it wasn't supposed to be playing, but kind of got thrown in the fire. So I got his perspective on that. Um, so his career started because of Laramie Tunsil's loaner car. That is factual. That um, is factual. <laughs> yeah. So... 
that's what we got coming up. Um, we'll have practice report uh, tonight, video, all that. You can find that at supertalk.fm. I'll post it on Twitter at BSRippy, all that stuff. Uh, send us your Mailback Friday questions. Tweet it. Uh, email me. Text it. Not give you my number if you don't have it. Anything you got. Um, keep giving me feedback as far as the show. I've really enjoyed like listening to people say what they like, don't like about it. Um, even the complaints. Like We had a guy explain, uh, say on Friday like the audio level was off. Uh, we can't always tell that. Like, I have a gauge in front of me, but we can't always tell that. So if something is, like, off with the podcast, like, it's not, like, like we're not, like, blatantly not fixing it. A lot of times we don't know. So, like, if something's up, please let me know. That makes it way easier and makes the listening experience easier for you. Um, but, yeah, send me your mailbag questions. Let me know where you're listening from. Tell me what you like, don't like about the podcast. We'll, uh, if you have, like, a really juicy critique or compliment, we'll read it on the show. Um, so challenge, challenge issued. Um, but yeah, send us your questions. Um, I'm going to get out of here if that's, uh, cause I don't really have anything else. You good? Yeah, we're good. All right. Well, we'll be back at it. Thank you for listening. Like, and subscribe. Give us five stars. You, if you give us five stars, you can write whatever you want in the messages. Um, so the people's podcast will be back on Friday. A super talk, Mississippi media production.